everyone, and welcome to the Balanced Purpose Podcast. My name is Ray Trevino, and I am your host. Each week, we will explore the essential elements of living a fulfilling, balanced, and meaningful life. Our podcast brings together entrepreneurs, business executives, coaches, and everyday people like you and me who have seen challenges and have overcome adversities to create success and find balance in their lives. Whether you're a young professional seeking to make an impact in your career, a parent looking to balance work and family life, or a retiree seeking to create a new purpose, our podcast is something for everyone. So join us as we delve into the world of living a balanced and purposeful life and discover how you can create a life of balance and purpose for yourself. Today's guest leverages his passion to help people find the career that energizes them and a life that fulfills them. He knew early in his life his passion was to clean America's waters. After 36 great years in the military and corporate leadership positions, he now helps others find their passion, as many know the destination, but not the path. I would like to welcome Don Gleason to the show. Don, how are you? Hey, Ray, I'm doing great. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you this morning. This is good. It's a pleasure to have you here. Would you mind telling our listeners a little something about yourself and maybe throwing a fun fact that many may not know about you? Well, I'm that little kid who, and you, you hit it a minute ago, with fifth grade, it, it focused me in on uh, environmental and on cleaning America's waters. But at the same time, for a little bit of fun, that same year, I remember on the 24th of December, 1970, that the Dallas Cowboys beat the Detroit Lions in football in the wild card game, five to nothing. Well, I'm not a Cowboy fan. I was born in Michigan, so I'm a Lions fan. That lit something under me, and my goal was to be a pro football player. I played YMCA football in eighth grade, moved on in high school, made the varsity in my junior year, and senior year was all conference, so I went to the University of Wisconsin, and I walked on. But I got a, I had terrible study habits, and I got my third economics exam, macroeconomics, I got an F. One of the few Fs I've ever gotten. And I decided right then I needed to make a change. So I walked off the team with a promise to come back in the spring, but I never did. Wow. And uh, I gave up on that dream. And that has impacted me through my life because I realized if you don't have that dream focus, right? Every day and it's in front of you and you're driving toward it, you're not going to achieve it, right? Where your focus goes, your energy flows. But the flip side of that was that environmental one. I was really good at math and science. I really loved the classes I had at Wisconsin for environmental engineering, and I loved to do those kind of things. So it, that just drove me, and I got to do some really cool things in the Air Force, and I won two major command environmental awards, then got into leadership. So it took me off. I can't say that I was disappointed not to be a football player. Sure, every time I watch it, I think I could have been on that field, right? I could have been making that money. I could have had that notoriety. But I also know how bad my, my body hurts after 27 years in the Air Force, and it would have been a lot worse after football. I walked in one day with this guy. He was a senior at Wisconsin, and he had been an all-state high school football player. And he says, I've had three knee surgeries. My back hurts. I can't hardly walk. I'm not starting. He said, it's just rough. And I started thinking about that. It's like, ooh, I, I kind of like to be able to do things until I'm 70 or 80. And uh, I'm now 90% disabled, according to the VA. And and I, I hurt when I stand up and I hurt when I wake up, but I just you know, keep moving forward. So that's my fun fact is the my football dream, unfortunately, I didn't get to do. Well, it ignited another passion and another purpose for you because it has to be huge for you to walk away from your actual dream at that time to begin a new path, which and, and that purpose must have been great to keep you going. Right. Because I'm sure there were opportunities where you could have just walked 
to the Detroit Lions center and said, hey, can I can I try out for your team? But you didn't. You know, you were focused on on serving us, serving the country and, and creating a greater purpose. And, and thank you for that. Again, we no, appreciate welcome. your service and, and we thank you for that. As I said off camera, I'll say on camera, America was worth it. You know, we, the military have a hard time saying you're welcome because we always come back with, oh, don't mention it or no problem. But when America comes to us and says, thank you, we need to be respectful and say, you're welcome and you are worth it. So I'm trying that out and helping other people say the right thing to make people feel appreciated when they say thank you. So I hope that, hope that helps. And when I say it that way, you have to give me some feedback later. Well, I'll give you feedback now. I, I love your take on it because respect equals respect, right? Yeah. And just like you guys appreciate that, we appreciate you because we wouldn't be having this conversation right now if we didn't have our freedoms. And it all begins somewhere. And the freedom that's provided to us by the military allows us to follow our dreams, find our purpose and create life of balance where we don't have to worry about where we're going to get our food. We know we can work for it. We know we can do what we need to do, but we have that option. And so it goes both ways. And I I love that. Thank you for bringing that up. I want want to jump in a second. Yeah. And I I appreciate everything you said. I just thought of another fun fact. I went to officer training school and on the third day, my flight commander called me in and he says, you weighed in at 230 pounds. You are at max tomorrow morning at 7.30. I'm picking you up. You're going to weigh in. And if you are not at or below 2.30, you will go home. And I was like, well, wait a minute, sir. I was six, four and a half, which made my max 2.33. And he said, your max is now 2.30. Am I clear? <laughs> Think about a few good men, right? Yeah. Am I clear? And that's about the way it was. And I said, Yes, sir. Well, I didn't eat or drink a thing from the afternoon until 7.30 the next morning. I lost eight pounds. I ran eight miles that night in the Texas heat, a mile and a half that morning, as fast as I could, just to burn as many calories as I could. I lost eight pounds. Wow. There was nobody going to kick me out. I may not be smart enough. I may not be good enough, but you're not kicking me out for something I can control. And that has driven me to today. I'm still, I'm actually lighter now, 20 pounds lighter now than when I joined the Air Force in 1982. I'm working hard to stay at it. I count my calories and I work out every day. I was at the gym at 4.50 this morning. So those things that happen, it drives you for the rest of your life. Right. That purpose creates that balance too. Yeah, it does. You know, which which keeps your body in check and keeps you going. So I want to go back to, you said, when you were five is when the inspiration for cleaning the environment. Oh, I was 10. Yeah. You were 10. So you were in the fifth grade. Correct. So how did that come about? Well, Gaylord Nelson, who was the senator out of Wisconsin, he saw the uh, things happening in the environment. Remember, in 1968, 69, 70 is when we passed a lot of the big environmental legislation for the United States. That was when the Clean Water Act, the Safe Drinking Water Act, uh, RICRA, the Resource Conservation Recovery Act to clean up contaminated sites. You had Love Canal up in New York. They were dumping hazardous chemicals into the river. You had Lake Erie that was pretty well dead. So America realized at that point you had to do something. And we needed to start raising a attention through the kids to start being the good stewards of America. So they created the Earth Day. First Earth Day, I think it was the 20th of April, 1970. And, uh, and that's when we had programs that day. Of course, Wisconsin, because Gaylord Nelson was going to Wisconsin. You had to have the schools you know, be involved. And they did. And I remember all day activities. We went out, we planted trees, we looked at gardens, we were studying, we had some readings, we had some lectures, and we had a special guest. I don't remember who that was. <laughs> but it just kind of lit a fire under me for the environment. And I got a couple of that with 
My dad had taken us out fishing. He loved to fish. He loved to fish. He had fought in Korea. He was actually in the Philippines on the 25th of June, 1950, when the North Korea invaded the South. And they put him on a ship in the middle of a typhoon for three days. Wow. Up and down, up and down, sicker than a dog. You know, and he, he stayed up topside and just let the water rush over him, right? The cold ocean water. And he finally got there and he fought in all the major battles, settled in at the DMZ before he got out three years later. And, uh, he kind of gave me some neat perspectives on a lot of things as he grew up through the recession and World War One, World War Two, excuse me, and then fought in Korea. So uh, he would take us out fishing. He loved to relax and enjoy the world. And we would see the rivers. You could see the yellow scum. So just the visual sensation, right? This yellow scum on the water, 1970, right? We were just talking about Love Canal and Lake Erie. You could smell smell the stench in the water. You could see the fish laying up on their side. Mm. And you start thinking, why are we fishing in this? Are we going to eat fish out of this? You know, but we'd, we'd find the clean spot. And uh, so I gained an appreciation through him of the environment. And between that and learning what we Americans were doing to our lakes and streams and rivers and soil, I know I wanted to be a leader cleaning that up. Well, he instilled some some great values in you. And yeah, I'm sure he loved it because he fought so hard for it. Yeah. And so is that one of the reasons why you went into the military? Were you following in your father's footsteps? Uh, I, I can't say that. Okay. Um, I don't think that would be true. I did not have a passion. Both of my brothers enlisted in the Air Force. One taught missile guidance systems. One was a, a civil engineer, water and wastewater kind of guy. It's close to what I was in. But they both served four years and got out. And I had no intention of joining the military. In fact, I used to probably tease my brothers about, you know, I'm, I'm never going to do that. No way, you know. But in the spring of 1982, I was graduating in May. I got married in March of 82. My wife, she was hand typing letters. And we got 454 of them back from the company saying, we're not hiring right now. We're in a recession. We'll keep your resume on file. 454 letters stacked up. And we had probably sent out, I don't know, hundreds more than that. So I, I looked at other opportunities. I could have gone back to grad school, like some of my peers, and get a master's degree. But man, I was tired of school. That had been, what, 18 years. I was tired of school. I wanted out. I wanted to get some experience. And the Air Force was hiring. I happened to talk to a recruiter. He took me down to Wright-Patterson, down in Dayton, Ohio, Saw the big Air Force Museum. We saw the back scenes of a lot of different things, the Environmental SPO, Special Program Office, what they're doing for the environment across the Air Force. And uh, I just said, yeah, I think I want to do that. And I joined. And the weekend before I got in the service, my dad took me to Lake Michigan and we went fishing. And we there was some really rough, windy, rainy days. So we sat in the hotel and drinking some brandy and Coke or whatever and just talking. We talked about Korea and we talked about him growing up on the farm and how things shaped him. And he kind of gave me a, a good send off. So uh, I can't say that he inspired it, but there is something there where there was an honor of what he did. You know, he, he passed away in 06 and we got all his information when my mom passed away in 19 and I made a shadow box. And there's something really proud of me having this shadow box and looking back in his career and seeing the things he did and the medals he earned. So I'm really proud of him. And I think he taught me so much more than just the military piece. Yeah, that chokes me up. I can feel the love for your father and, and how proud you are of it. Kind of have some tears in my eyes right now, too. And so moving on to your Air Force career. So you said 27 years. Mm -hmm. For a guy who came in for four years, no more, no way, no how, I stayed 27. That's amazing. Well, well, your perspective going into everything, I mean, you had the opportunity 
whenever it was presented to you, you had the opportunity to really take a look at it, think of it and saw how it fit in your life. And you created a good direction out of it. So going into the military, did you know what your path would be or did you have a designated path or did you just go with the flow? I was probably like most people and went with the flow. I knew I wanted to work in environmental. I knew I wanted to do some neat things in that arena. And I got to the first base, K.I. Sawyer, right up by Marquette, Michigan on Lake Superior. I was there for almost well, three and a half years. And I got to lead the hazardous waste program. It was the beginning of what the Air Force called the installation restoration program, which was cleaning up the contaminated sites. So I got to work with contractors to go out and research the records across the base. You know, where was waste generated? Where did we dispose of it? Where would it be today? How do we go about finding that out, right? Digging up the landfill, mm -hmm. doing groundwater surveys around the landfill. We had uh, trichloroethylene showing up in our stream that ran through the base. Well, we had to track that back and we ended up doing groundwater surveys with the U.S. Geological Survey. So I got to be the point man working with them and we isolated it back to a certain shop that had a tank that was leaking, just like Wordsmith Air Force Base down in the, the hand of, of Michigan, mm -hmm. up here on the kind of the forefinger. They had a, a tank that they kept dumping stuff into and never taking anything out. And it was just leaking out the bottom and it contaminated the groundwater and the drinking water. So that was a huge problem, a huge cleanup fee. So we averted a little bit of that. Still cost us a lot to clean it up, but we didn't have the drinking water problem and stuff like that at KI Sawyer. So it really kind of raised my eyes of the different aspects of the environmental. There was one other environmental guy and I, I kind of did contract programming of projects to get contracts and then I did environmental, my focus being environmental. And so that gave you the opportunity to make contacts, connections, and also find solutions. Now, how long did you do that for in the military, in the Air Force? Well, that was the first four years. And then I went to F.E. Warren Air Force Base, which is in Cheyenne, Wyoming. We used to joke it's Ronnie's Rocket Ranch because it was uh, it's all missiles, right? Mm -hmm. That's where we put the Peacekeeper missile. So I got to really do environmental for about another year and a half there. And that's where I won the two environmental awards. Um, I love the piece of you get to do a job. Then you go to the next base and you get to do it again. Because in between, you get to stop and think, if I get to do that job again, how would I do it differently? What did I learn? What was good? What was not so good? And I had a whole different perspective of both working with the shops. They're using hazardous materials to do the work. But the way the Air Force procurement rules come in, you need a quart, you buy a gallon. Then you got three quarts left over. So what do you do with three quarts? You classify it as waste and you dispose of it. What we, a partner and I did at KI Sawyer, which I took to F.E. Warren, was if we only need a quart, let's have a spot where we buy the gallon, we give you a quart, we give you a quart, you a quart, you a quart, you all use it up. We don't have any waste. Mm -hmm. So we started implementing conservation measures and sustainability measures. And then we started managing the waste that we did have and see how we could use it in different ways. One other thing I remember thinking, you know, if I run into a situation in a shop, I'm going to be bold enough to walk into the commander and say, Houston, we have a problem. Not yelling, not blaming, just, hey, sir, we have a problem. I need to show you this. Well, it happened. There was the what they called the rivet mile. It was debt 60. It was doing the renovations at all the missile sites. And they would bring the hazardous materials back to F.E. Warren Air Force Base. And there was like 110 55-gallon drums out in this yard. Each one had the bung hole open, right? So it was just, things were just evaporating. The rain would rain in and the evaporation would go out. And we had no idea what was in the drum. There was no labels. And I, I walked around the building as I was doing surveys and inspections. I call it more of a staff assistant visit. I didn't want to be an inspector, right? I wanted to help them comply. And 110 drums, we had no idea what it was. 
Wow. And then sure enough, these, these guys walked up and said, hey, can you excuse me a little bit? I'm going to pour this in there. I said, what, what are you pouring in? They said, well, I don't really know. I said, well, what's in the drum? And they said, well, I don't rightly know. I said, do you even know if they're compatible? You, you may create uh, you know, fumes, you may create an explosion, you may create all kinds of things. What's going on? He goes, we just always told us to dump it in here and there's never been a problem yet. So I went straight into the colonel. He was a pretty senior colonel on the base. I was a pretty new captain. And I said, sir, we have a problem. Can I show you something? And uh, he had seen my presentation at the wing staff about what, what I was doing working with shops, and he had been very impressed. He said that to my commander. So all of a sudden, I walked in his office. He knew who I was. And he, he walked outside, and I said, sir, we need to close all these down. We need to sample them, and it's going to be your cost. It's probably going to run well over two or $300,000. You can imagine him choking on that, right? But he said, nope, you're exactly right. We got to do what's right. We're going to implement new procedures. And I helped him implement new procedures. And then I walked back to my commander and to my boss and I said, I need to let you know what I did today. <laughs> <laughs> and they 100% supported me, right? That happened a lot through my career where I had the authority to go out and do things. And I would always come back and back brief the boss. And I was always working within their commander's intent. But I love that piece because we're, we're protecting America's waters, right? We're cleaning it up. We're protecting it handling resources in the right way. Well, that and that, that's pretty serious too. Now, do you know if these procedures that were implemented became standard across the board? Because if you think if it's happening in one place, it's got to be happening everywhere else too. And so that raises an eyebrow, you know, right there in itself. I use that example for the rest of the shops across the wing because I was doing the in brief to all the new folks coming on base. And I would talk a little bit about, there's these type of things happening. This is what we're trying to do. So I need your help to help me do this right. Because that could have been millions of dollars of fines from the EPA. This was kind of an interesting one. We get an EPA inspection and they go through our program and he gives me the out brief and goes, Don, you're in pretty good shape. Don't see any real problems. A couple minor things. I'll write a report when I get a chance and I'll send it back to you. I said, great. Appreciate it. I had a great relationship with the state of Wyoming and the great relationship with EPA. That was just one of the things I really learned is you got to be communicating with them. And uh, about six months later, we were in the Environmental Protection Committee meeting and we're briefing the vice wing commander. And I said, sir, we don't have that report yet, but he said he'll get to us when he can. He says, you call him and you tell him I want that report. And I said, I'll call him. I don't know how that's going to go over, but I'll call him. So I did. And he goes, Don, he says, if you want the report, I'll give it to you. You're probably not going to like what I put in it because you're forcing me to do it. But if you just let me do it on my time, you're going to be very happy. I said, just take your time. <laughs> <laughs> and I talked to the wing commander, vice wing commander. And I said, sir, this is what's going on. I said, we just got to trust him. He trusts us. Let's build that relationship. We finally got it three or four months later, and it was just a couple minor things, no big deal. And uh, we just kept that relationship going. So that was another great lesson about communication and teamwork and trust that I just took forward. And that helped us. We discovered on the north part of the base, World War II chemical test kits. I mean, this is live mustard agent. Now these are in real small vials, very small quantities, but it was still live. So we brought the experts in from Aberdeen, the army experts, and they were cleaning it up. And one morning, all of a sudden, they came across uh, some vials that had been broken that were live. And boy, they didn't have the mask on and stuff. And you talk about getting your attention because all of a sudden now they're tearing up and having the impact of the mustard agent and stuff. And they got out of that hole and they decontaminated right there and we can, we cleaned up the space. So then I had to go back and brief the, the wing commander of, okay, this is what we have in the hole. This is what happened this morning. I need to go down and talk to the state, but I want to run that through you. And he's just like, Don, do what you need to do. I trust you. And I went down to the state and the state said, yeah, we don't even need to come out, Don. We trust you. You're doing the right thing. You came in and talked to us. Keep up the good work. 
Oh, that's amazing. How did that feel? Oh, it was good. And every place I went after that, I talked to people and I did some briefings at our Air Force Institute of Technology. It was our master's and our continuing education program. And base after base had terrible relationships with the state and the EPA. And I had really good ones. So I would talk to them about how to develop that. And you, you've got to step forward and communicate. But most wing commanders are very hesitant to open up that communication. And it causes impact. Why do you think that causes impact? Do you think it's because of maybe rank? People think that they don't have to report to... I think that's the last one. Because one of my wing commanders says, I feel like when I'm talking to the state and the feds that I'm asking permission to do my job. And it's like, well, sir, you're not asking. You're just reporting, right? They're responsible for the groundwater mm-hmm. that goes underneath this base. And it goes out from under us to the community. And they're just trying to make sure it's protected. So we're really teaming together to make sure that we're not contaminating the rest of the environment around us. He said, that's probably a pretty good perspective. Okay, well, go ahead and talk to him. Uh, That's a good perspective and a simple one. Yeah. Whenever we let pride and ego get in the way, it causes troubles, right? Yeah. But if we just answer the question, so what, what is the benefit of me communicating to the state? What is our end goal? And then it comes out to a whole different piece than, why would I want to do that? As I got certified as a coach, so I'm an executive coach and a career transition coach in in, in, in subset of that. But the power of the what question instead of the why question. I was talking to my wife one time, Trump was running for president, and I said, why do you think he's doing that? And she would say some things, and I'd say, I'm not sure I agree with that. And she's like, why are you questioning me? I was like, This is just a conversation. She goes, no, you asked me to justify what he's doing. And I thought, I asked a why question. So I turned around and I said, what do you think is the reason? And she gave me a reason. I said, okay, may may or may not agree with that. And we just went on. I said, why did you notice the difference between when I asked you a why question and a what question? And she says, well, because you didn't ask me to justify it. It's like, wow, that was a powerful lesson for me. As I went through that training, my mentor with the Maxwell Leadership Team says that exact same thing, right? Very rarely ask a why question. It's always what and how and when. And uh, so that helps me be a much better coach. Same idea, be a better leader as you're in an organization. That's what I was going to say is it makes you a much better leader when you're asking the what questions. If you're looking for a problem and trying to identify an issue within a system, then that's when you throw in the why questions. But when it comes to people, it's it's more what question. So now I'm going to ask you a what and a how question. So during your time in the military and everything that you learned and went through, what did you learn from this and how do you apply it to your mission today? I was just up in Wichita, Kansas, talking to a real good friend of mine. We're, we, we're not oldest military friends. We call it our longest military friends. He got in in October of 81. I got commissioned in December of 81. So we first base together in January of 82. And we had dinner that first week or so. So we've been friends now for over 40 years, almost 41 years. And he said, you know, best compliment he ever got was he wore his eagles lightly. He didn't throw the eagle out. You will do this because I'm in charge. I'm the colonel here. And I never took that approach either. It was always, I want to ask you, hey, Airman, can I have you do this? Right? Sergeant, can you take this on for me? And because I built a relationship, because I built a trust and a respect, they felt like a teammate, not a subordinate. <clears throat> so I love that word, teammate versus subordinate. And I hate when people say that people are assets. They're not equipment. 
their teammates, team members. So I think that the biggest thing I learned probably in my 27 years is how to treat people with respect and how to ask them to do things. I remember one time we were deployed over to uh, Salopi, Turkey, right on the Iraqi border. This was in uh, summer of 91. And there was an army warrant officer who was sorry, sexually harassing my master sergeant, female. And this was impacting her. And I said, this isn't going to happen. It's not under my watch. We're not going to do this. And I didn't have a long time for investigation. I just had to, I just went over and I had a conversation with the chief. Now it was the only one of the very few one-way conversations that I had with the brim of my hat on somebody's forehead. But it was still, do you understand? Do you, I understand you're having this conversation with my master sergeant. Yes, sir. I said, I understand this is having a big problem with her. Do you aware of that? No, sir. I said, well, it is. It's having a big impact and it's improper. And this is not going to go on. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. I said, because that, that's just not the way we do it in the military. That's not the way we treat people. Would you want somebody treating your daughter that way? He goes, no, sir. And I said, then I need you to go over and apologize. And apologize right now. He says, where is she? And I said, Stand by. And I got on the radio and I said, where are you at, Betty? And, uh, and she told me she's in a certain tent. And I said, he's, he's on his way. And she came up to me later because she said, she said that morning, please don't, please don't. You don't raise the... I said, no, this isn't going to go on. And uh, would you believe over the next couple of months, they got to be the best of friends? I believe it. Isn't that amazing? Oh, that's awesome. But I didn't, I didn't call him names. I didn't scream and holler. It was just a very direct communication. This is not right. You know, I need you to apologize. I need you to change it. And at six, four and a half, 230 pounds, I'm sure he took you pretty serious. <laughs> <laughs> There's a benefit there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great story. So yeah. moving forward, how do you define purpose in your life? Where, where do you find purpose and how do you define it for Don Gleason? So there's two questions in there. How do you define purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and different people have different def- definitions. But to me, purpose is that thing that you just enjoy doing. It, it, it resonates in your soul. You can't not do it, right? You get excitement out of it. You look forward to doing it. It, it just becomes part of you. Just like in fifth grade, that environmental clean up America's waters. And then it turned to leading people. I enjoyed leading people, leading teams, helping them see where they could improve, how could they could do things better, how they could perform better. I was lucky enough to be uh, in places where we got different uh, organizational leadership awards because people under my command and my leadership, they, they responded well and they took off with programs. And I benefited from people before me and I was able to help others advance forward. I remember when I took command, it was my third squadron command in Malmstrom Air Force Base, Montana. My predecessor had gotten fired. And so I came into an organization that I was trying to figure out what happened, right? And nobody would really tell me much. So I had to figure it out. And uh, that December, we got put up for the best civil engineering unit in the Air Force. So I had to lead the team through that, right? Had just lost their boss. We submitted the package. We went through the final three in the competition. We got number two. Which was which was really pretty cool, but just just helped the team even go farther from there. And then to the year after I left, they got the best number one in the Air Force. So that made me really feel good. So so I just really enjoyed the piece of leading people and leading teams. But it was again from respect and from from relationship, right? And and how you treated people, and uh, and you you inspired them. You know, John Maxwell says, I'm a Maxwell leadership guy, uh, executive director. And he says, you know, leadership is influence. And uh, we, we debate sometimes, is it influence or is it inspiration? Uh. Yeah, you know, because some people think influence can be negative. And he never means it that way. He's very clear about it. 
but inspiring. When you inspire somebody to do something, they, they want to go do it. So that, for me, that purpose, where we were going back to, is having that thing inside of you that you just love. And right now, my purpose is I've seen too many military struggle in getting out of the service. I, I struggled a little bit, but I had a really good transition. I, I had taken the time beforehand. I figured out what I wanted to do. I wanted to get back in environmental. I looked at the companies. I had all kinds of people telling me, oh, you should get more money by going to construction or design or you know, whatever, facility maintenance. And I was like, but I don't enjoy those. That's not my purpose. My purpose is environmental and leadership. So I, so I found Booz Allen Hamilton. I got to be a consultant and I loved it. I stayed for nine years. And now I see so many people struggling with that decision. They don't know what they want to do. They don't know what their purpose is. They can't answer the question, what do I want to do next? So they just go out and get a job and they're unhappy. So they leave and they try another one. They leave, they try another one. So I got, I got some friends who've left five jobs in four years and they're getting closer, but I'm trying to sit down with them and say, let me work with you and help you figure that first part out. Because what people immediately do is they jump to their resume and try to make the best resume, but then they struggle. Don, I don't know what to put in it. Well, what's your purpose? What kind of job do you want? Well, I'll take anything. Well, that's why you're having a trouble because you're trying to put too much into your resume. And it doesn't fit the job you're trying to get because you have no idea what job you want. If you figure out what job you want, then you can figure out what you put in it. And so to me, it follows logically. So Here's the two facts I drive by. We're still losing 22, plus or minus, 22 military and veterans a day to suicide. The number one ideation for suicide is career transition. Mm. They don't feel connected. They don't feel a mission anymore. They don't feel a purpose, right? You had, you had national security. You had bringing freedom and liberty and, and democracy to the world as your purpose. And now you're working for a company who's trying to make money. They just, they don't connect to a purpose, so they get lost. And then the, the transition part is hard. So I'm trying to figure out how I can minimize that, you know, reduce that 22. But even on the non-military side, 75 to 85% of people are disengaged at work. And what does that disengagement mean? <clears throat> well, there's a thing now called the Sunday scaries. Anxiety increases on Sunday afternoon and Sunday night as they start thinking about going back to work on Monday. They don't want to go work for that leader. They don't want to be in that organization with the culture and values that they're working for. They don't want to do that job anymore. These are the things that people have said. So they end up going to the job, doing what they're told, not inspired to do their best, not inspired to find and fix problems like I used to do when I was a captain. We talked about some of those things, right? They would see that mm -hmm. problem of 110 barrels and they would just close their eyes to it and walk away, right? And then let the problem persist until it got worse. And that's not good for the organization. It's not good for their career. They, by the end of the day, I think, are tired. They're worn out. They go home and they just want to have a beer and sit in front of the TV. They don't engage with their spouse, don't engage with their kids. Leads to divorce, leads to kids not feeling valued. So there's a direct impact to that as well. So both of those sides drive me to help people find the job, as you said in the intro, find the career that energizes them and the life that inspires them. Because when you, I think when you have the job that really energizes you, you come home energized, you're excited, you engage with the spouse, you engage with the kids, you help them try to be better, right? You're involved in their activities. 
I see some some kids around the neighborhood who just need some adults sometime to care about them. Their mom mm-hmm. or dad are traveling. They don't feel connected. There's another piece of volunteering. I, I've led youth groups before. And uh, sometimes there's just kids hanging out there that just don't feel connected. And it just kind of goes through life. So again, a long answer. But that's that's what I think a purpose is. And that's what my purpose is now. I've, it's changed. And, and it's okay that it changes, right? I learned so much by being focused in the environment. It led me to leadership. I learned so much in the leadership role that now I can relate better to people in this career transition perspective. I couldn't have done this without those. So Don, everything that you said is near and dear to my heart. And here's exactly why. I was sitting in church one Sunday and and the sermon was similar to everything that you just talked about. And that's when the thought of the Balanced Purpose podcast came to mind. How do we influence people to help them, or not necessarily influence, but inspire, to help them to find their purpose and direction in life? Because you you name the percentages, and to take all of that a step forward, we've had the issue of social media, which creates false expectations, which... You know, you look at the young today that are locked into Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. And, and while that helps on a business sense and it helps people do good things, it also creates a lot of bad, a lot of noise and a lot of darkness. Right. And so you take a look at a, a high school kid who's looking at a kid probably of a similar age standing in front of a Lamborghini with six pack abs and girls around in a stack of money. The first thing they say is, why can't I do that? Not knowing that it's just it's it's all a false pretense created by this person so that more people could look at them and give them likes and whatever it is. It ultimately creates a false expectation, causing depression, causing disconnection, you know, and causing the feeling of not being valued because they don't have this this same thing. And, and, uh, those are all fantastic points. And so we started this podcast in, in the hopes of reaching at least one person, one decision, one day at a time so that we can change that mindset, change that paradigm and and maybe start bringing people over to the light to let them know that, Hey, listen, this is what Don did in his life to get where he is, to find balance and to find purpose. There, there's work involved. There's action that has to be taken place. And there's usually a plan involved And once you can know that, you can establish it and you can work towards it. But there's fulfillment with each step and each action that you take. And that's what people have to know. We live in a world of instant gratification, which we have for a while. But it's time that people understand what living a fulfilling and balanced life really looks like. And the next question I bring up, uh, and you kind of mentioned it already, but in today's world, there are many people living in darkness and struggling to find their purpose. What's some advice that you would give to one of our listeners today to, to kind of help them along their way? Well, I'm going to say it from two different levels. As leaders, we need to be open and transparent to what we are going through and have gone through, right? We've all faced the challenges. We've all faced problems. We've all felt the need to go get a mentor or a coach or, you know, there was a four-star general in the Air Force who just showed his calendar and how he was going over to life skills, mental health, and and having an appointment because he was having trouble dealing with something, right? Four-star general. You think about the the guys in the top, you know, one-tenth of a percent in the military, but he's seen things, he's gone through things, he's struggling with things, and he needs help. So I think we as leaders need to let people know it's okay. It's okay to seek help. It's not a weakness, it's a strength. And now we can say that all we want. We have to do it. I've been thinking lately, especially I was at the gym this morning, you know, more is caught than taught. And when you go through life and you may hear somebody saying something, but you see the consequences of doing something 
different than what they say? Which are you going to fall with? What's said or what's observed? You always follow what's observed, right? Because that's the real story. We need to be consistent. But I think when I talk about the younger folks, which is, it ties right in, is you're going to go through it. We're in the human condition, right? The human condition has fears. We struggle with things. And through the struggle, we become great, right? I wanted to be a high hurdler because my older brother was a high hurdler in high school. He was city champion. I never, even though I took the hurdles home, they sat in the garage and I only, I think three times that summer I got out for 10, 15 minutes, I, I, I worked on it. Well, I didn't practice. I, I had natural football talent. It got me to all conference. If I would have really engaged with it, I could have been NFL. I think I really could have. But I wasn't really doing engage. But when I jumped into the environmental piece, I did engage. I did practice. I did study. And, uh, and, I, and I succeeded. And then there was that piece of the weight. You know, and then, and again, every one of those could have been struggles. Everyone could be a dark place. We just have to realize that I guess the piece there I'm going on is failure is part of success. And we don't have an environment in a lot of places where that's okay. Where where parents or bosses or churches, you know, <laughs> I hate to say it from the church perspective, sometimes the church can be the most critical. And uh, when you admit that you're struggling with something, they almost more outcast you than your community does. And, and we should love each other. We should respect each other. So how do we help each other? So find that person, find that group who can help you be able to talk to folks. If you can't, you're going to struggle internal and you will spin and tell the story. The, the book, Crucial Conversations, I teach it. I, I just finished four years leading a leadership lab for the Society of American Military Engineers. And uh, that was probably the most favorite book of everybody's every year because it gave you a method to have a tough conversation with people you love and how to approach it, how to frame it, how not to tell stories, right? My wife and I, we talk about it all the time and we'll say something that's like, yeah, that's a story. It's not based on fact. How do we take that and disprove it or prove it? What questions do we need to ask? And uh, it's amazing how we all spin into the story. So um, that personal growth aspect of understanding the human condition. We, we spend so much time in school of reading, writing, arithmetic, science, you know, foreign language. We don't learn about the human condition, the brain. Mm. You know, the book Think and Grow Rich, The Science of Getting Rich, which really talks about the human brain, right? Um, man's search for meaning. You know, so many of those great books that I'm really just getting into in the last five to 10 years as a Maxwell leadership guy teach so much that is so valuable, but we don't take time for them. And there's nothing wrong with getting a therapist. Well, those are, those are all things that uh, I stand behind. Uh, crucial conversations on my uh, to-do aisle. So I've got a ton of books and Think and, Think and Grow Rich is on my top shelf. It's one of my favorite books and you know, I love reading it and going through it. I, I love books. And of course, therapy is a something that I will always stand behind because I think that you don't have to be crazy to see a therapist, <laughs> right. right? But sometimes it'll help you unlock your true potential and your better self because there are things that I personally found out about myself that I never even knew until I engaged a therapist. And now I, I just like I have a business coach, a mental coach, right? My therapist, I call her my healer trainers and all that fun stuff. I, I think those are all wonderful points. And uh, I think you're 100% correct is that a lot of today's world is 
scared to engage, uh, whether it may be because of money or because they don't want to be judged, right? And and this is where leaders like us, you're 100% need to step in and say, hey, we're here for you. It's something that we can help you with. We can help direct you. So whatever it may be, just let us know. Now, I want to talk about you and your legacy with, with all the work that you do through your Maxwell coaching, your environmental work. What legacy do you want to leave behind for the world? Wow, that's a good question. I haven't really been asked that one. You know, some people always say legacy is going to take care of itself, right? If you're going to do the right thing every day, legacy is going to take care of itself. But if I got to go sitting on my deathbed and write kind of the obituary of, of what it is that Don did, help people see their potential and step into it. Oh, that's strong. I think that would be a good one. As I work from a leadership perspective, right? I talked about helping people see that they could do so much better. You know, seeing what their potential is. I remember having, I did a number of podcasts. It was like a memorable moment. And we just did a story about how a young man came to my desk. He was going to get an article 15 punishment and it could have resulted in getting out of the service. And, uh, I got inspired at the last minute. I took the book. I had it all laid out in front of me, right? And I took the book as he walked in and reported, and I saluted, and I, I closed the book. And I looked at him. I said, why are we here? What's going on? And uh, he had already been in front of me once. And I said, you know, this, this could be the kiss of death. Something's not going right. How can I help you? How can this first sergeant standing here help you? How can your supervisor standing here help you? And we had a conversation. I still had to proceed with the Article 15, but we considered everything he said in the punishment and in his path forward. And I, I didn't take a stripe, I suspended a stripe, which gave him an opportunity to prove himself, to step forward, to be the person he wanted to be, to stop doing what he was doing. <clears throat> and, and, and he not only did he keep the stripe. He earned another stripe before mm-hmm. I left. And the wing commander got involved and said, I want to hold that one because of what, what has been going on. I said, I think we're on the right path, but I understand exactly what you're saying. And before I left, I went back to the wing commander. I said, I'd like to have that stripe given to him before he leaves just to show the trust in him. And he said, I agree, do it. So uh, I think helping people like that see their potential. It's not always the people that are in trouble to get them out of trouble. It's sometimes it's that middle performer to get them to see what's better. Maybe even the top performer to see they can even be better or help other people. You know, John Maxwell says, once you taste significance, success never again satisfies. And it's so true. When you start seeing other people succeed, like like this career transition, when I see other people getting the job they were looking for, I had a, a major Air Force meteorologist. He did not want to be a weather guy. But I said, we had a long conversation, but the one powerful question was, so what did you do in life that you really enjoyed? He goes, oh, I was the key weather guy, which I did way beyond more about than weather for General Henri in the oil field horizon spill out in the Gulf. And we were doing an analysis of the water movements and this and that and the other thing. And I really loved that, the whole disaster preparedness piece. I said, did you ever think about getting into disaster preparedness? And he said, yes, but I didn't think it was possible. Guess what? He's now a GS-14 in the Department of Homeland Security working in that exact area. He's loving it. And I am so tickled that in our questioning, we got him inspired to do something different than be the weather guy because that was not him. And with inspiration, he found his purpose. Yeah. Thank you. 
Thank yeah, you. It's, another, it's amazing when you think about how many stories we all have in life. And hopefully it's about how we've helped other people. Right. And it's sitting back and, and taking a breath and kind of thinking about the situation because there are a lot of times where we are quick to condemn if we see someone not acting right without really understanding the entire story. And that's something that we all, even myself, need to get better at working at. Now, we've just used story twice. We've got to be careful, right? Because in the crucial conversation piece, when, when something comes up, our mind will spin a story to try to protect us, right? To justify, to rationalize what happened, why people are acting a certain way. And that, that's a different type of story, right? Than the story where we're actually able to help somebody and do something, even though it has the same name. So I just want to bring that out, right? There's two different meanings of the story. You know, one can be bad when we base it on fear mm-hmm. and judgment and, and, uh, and concern versus, you know, seeing how we've actually helped somebody, which is now based on fact and, and, uh, how we've inspired them. So I don't know who needed to hear that. I just felt that somebody needed to hear that difference. And, and they did. Oh, always know that, that through these conversations, there's someone out there listening that is probably saying right before you said that, man, I needed to hear that. So thank you. Now, this has been a great, inspiring conversation and interview. If our listeners wanted to get to know more about you and your services and and your coaching, is there a website or email they can contact you at? So I'm, I'm rebuilding my website. It's going to be up here in the next couple of months, but the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. And I'm the only Don L. Gleason, the middle initial. So Don L. Gleason. And uh, I'm the only one that should pop up. And uh, it says right, right on top, career transition coach. If, if we're not connected, you know, send me a connection note. If we are connected, send me a message and say, hey, I heard you here on the Balanced Life podcast. And I would love to have a conversation with you because I'm going to complimentary give anybody who's heard this and wants to have a conversation 30 minutes. That sounds great. That's perfect. Give me a call. Give me a message. And let's have a conversation, see how I can help you. If that alone helps you, great. If you want to go farther with me on the, you know, from a business perspective and be, the, be a coach, I would love to do that too. But I, I want to pour into to your audience and help them. Perfect. And we'll attach that to the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today, Don. We really appreciate yeah. it. So thanks for the opportunity. Balanced Purpose Podcast was created and hosted by me, Ray Trevino, and is produced and edited by Nick Galtney. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Check us out at balancedpurposepodcast.com and on Instagram at balancedpurposepodcast. Remember, finding your purpose is a journey, not a destination, and it takes time and effort to achieve balance. Make it a great day.